Um, morning, everyone. Just while the kids are um, heading out, I want to get you chatting to the people next to you and around you while I set up the mic stand as well um, before I get started. And the question I'm going to pose to you all to discuss is, why is this book dangerous? Why is the Bible... Oh, thanks. Magic. There you go. Um, why is the Bible dangerous? For the people around you and next to you, have a quick chat. Why is it dangerous? Go for it. Okay, folks, let me draw you back together. And I'm going to destroy something this morning. Um, you had some great discussions just now. Shout some things out on me. What do you think? Why is the Bible dangerous? What do you reckon? Here's me bold. It can be misunderstood. Absolutely, it can be misunderstood. You're spot on. It challenges you. Yeah, definitely. It challenges us, changes us, transforms us, makes us look at our own hearts. And it definitely changes the way as Christians that we live when we dig deeper into this book, the more we draw closer to Jesus. Um, and I want to start by saying to you, definitively, this book, the Bible, is dangerous. The message of the gospel is dangerous. Now, it might mean absolutely nothing to you. Or, if you are a Christian, this book the gospel message might mean absolutely everything to you. However, if it is true and you believe in the risen Jesus Christ, it will transform your life and every single area and aspect of your life if you allow it to. If you allow this living document, the word of God that's been preserved for us throughout the centuries, to live in your heart and dwell in your heart, it will transform you and change your life. The story we read about in today's passage, in Mark 15, about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ in all four of the Gospels has eternal consequences. Now, you can choose to ignore it or accept it. But either way, it is not a passive story. The message of the gospel requires a response from us. And all of Christianity hinges on the one event we are going to look at this morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. To just be aware and take in mind the conversation you've been having about why this book is dangerous. The reasons we've already mentioned and discussed. This message, this event in history we refer back to and look at the resurrection of Jesus transforms us. Christians have been meeting for over 2,000 years because of this message. This is why the message of the cross is dangerous. We can look at why it was dangerous for the people at the time and then how it transformed lives at the time of Jesus and how it's still transforming lives in the world at this moment. And that's really why I'm so excited to be with you this morning. Um, my name is Michael. I'm a member of the uh, Fording Bridge site over with New Life Community Church. My wife and I, uh, Karen, have just joined the church over there in Fording Bridge. And uh, what you may not know is that I'm also serving and working on the team that oversee New Life Community Church as an intern with them while I study at Moorlands, studying applied theology. Um, and the reason that I'm doing that at the moment and the reason that Karen and I have joined New Life Community Church is because we really have a heart 
for God and seeing God's kingdom and God's message of hope spread throughout this location. Spread throughout our location, but also spread throughout this country too. And God's really been doing a work in me over the last several years. And I want to continue in faithfulness in that journey. And this is really the next step for us on that journey. It's a big change for us. It's a big challenge for us in many ways too. But it's something that we are so excited to be a part of. And we're so blessed in the new brothers and sisters that we have gained as part of this church family with New Life. So it's a pleasure to be with you today. And you will see us um, throughout the year and the years to come too. Now, heading into our passage in Mark chapter 15, um, the question I want to pose first of all, before we jump into the text, is how good are you at holding your tongue? How good, when things get difficult, when people get really annoying, when you're faced with physical or emotional pain, how good are you at not saying anything? How good are you at holding that back in, even when you feel it bubbling, even when you feel it raging inside you, and you really want to say something? How good are you at holding that back? It's not an easy thing as human beings at all. But it's something we are going to see modelled by Christ this morning throughout the passage. Now, we see that modelled by Christ, but there's also other characters in the story today, such as the Pharisee, who were not quick to hold their tongue at all. Quick, though, to throw blame and accusation on others. We've also got the Roman soldiers that we'll see who mocked Jesus and mocked those who couldn't fight back and who they saw as beneath them that they could belittle. But also the disciples, who at this time in the story had fled and were holding their tongues in a different way by not speaking out, not standing up for their relationship with Jesus. So we can look at the example of Jesus and again reflect on how we are as individuals. How difficult at times we find ourselves to do just this. And often when we don't hold our tongue, in those moments where we do get frustrated and it does all bubble over, we find ourselves often falling into sin. We find ourselves in those moments turning away and behaving in a way that rebels really against God's will for us. We can become self-righteous, prideful, arrogant, and even look to bring others down rather than showing grace and kindness. Again, we'll see examples of both of those in the passage today. But of course, our greatest example, Jesus Christ, shows us the perfect example of enduring through suffering. But as we come to the end of Mark's Gospel today, We'll see that Jesus not only endured the torture of the cross without sinning, but that he endured the torture of the cross to take away our sins. The title of my message today is The Suffering Saviour, because that's just what Jesus is for us. Someone who suffered on our behalf, but someone who came to save us too. If you've got your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Mark chapter 15. We're going to start and read together, uh, beginning in verse 1. We have Jesus before Pilate. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. 
The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowds to get Pilate to release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. An example of plenty of people not holding their tongue. Not holding their tongue to get what they desired. To put somebody else down, who again they wanted eliminated, they wanted out the way, they thought was below them. As we see, Jesus didn't argue back or lash out against those trying to see him put to death. And just think about if you were in that situation. You were in physical harm. You were put on trial, in an unjust trial, where they couldn't even bring testimonies that stood up. They couldn't even bring valid reasons for why this man should be put to death. And yet he said nothing. How would we respond in that situation? I know even for myself, it's difficult in those moments when you feel you're in an unjust situation or unjust position. It's hard not to say anything. But of course, we know Jesus is doing the will of the Father at this point. Jesus suffered in silence because he was without sin and was being faithful to the plans laid out for him by the Father. Continuing in verse 16, the soldiers mock Jesus. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace that is Praetorium and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they'd mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to be crucified. Again, we see Jesus enduring physical abuse and persecution. And still, Jesus said nothing. Look at what Jesus went through for the sake of the world. That by his sacrifice, we would be set free. And again, the Bible doesn't shy away from the violence of this story at all. If anything, it brings it into the light to once again bring to our hearts the significance of what Jesus endured for us. Going on into uh, verses 21, we see, begin to see the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. We see how Simon was forced to carry the cross. 
How Jesus refused to take the wine he was offered, which would have worked to numb his pain. And he rejected it. He wouldn't accept it. How Jesus was nailed to and hung from the cross. And above Jesus' head was the sign saying, the King of the Jews. We also read how they crucified two rebels with him. But really importantly, where I'm going to pick up the story, is how those who were there watching on mocked and insulted Jesus. Uh, Verse 29 says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults at it. They continued to sin. They've pushed Jesus, well, they've put Jesus in the situation for their own means, their own want. They've seen him endure the trial that was unjust. They've seen him endure the torture of the cross, one of the most brutal executions methods ever created throughout history. And yet they still continued in their way of sin, in their anger, hatred and greed. They insulted a man who came to save them, even though they couldn't see it. They'd missed the significance of who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And yet he was still being obedient and faithful to the Father. Not once did Jesus from the cross shout down and shout back at them. He endured silently, being obedient to the Father, to once again take away our sins and take away the sins of even those who looked to do him harm. There are people in this world who want that gospel message eradicated. And yet Jesus still died for them. And we can't ignore that fact. When we're going about our lives, when we're in our areas of influence, even those people who reject the gospel message still need salvation. Jesus still died for them, just as much as he died for us too. Um, Jump into Luke Chapter 23, verse 34, we hear those famous words of Jesus, where he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Again, think about earlier how hard we find it to hold our own tongues. How many of us would behave in that way? When someone's persecuting us, actually to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing or what they're saying. How often we lash out or behave in a way that dishonours God and look back look back on those moments with, what on earth was I doing? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? I know, again, even for myself, it's something that unfortunately happens all the time. I think, why did I say that? I didn't need to behave in that way. I needed to be more graceful at that time. Father, forgive me. How often might we find Jesus saying the same thing to us in moments of weakness? Jesus saying, forgive us. They know not what they are doing. Going to, uh, back to Mark, verse 33, this time. We come to the burial of Jesus. Uh, Verse 42. It was preparation day 
That is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear uh, that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath day was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and uh, Solomon, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, Jesus, after sunrise, uh, sorry, uh, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. Who is crucified? He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Again, another example sometimes it's fear that can hold our tongue. Sometimes that lack of understanding, that I'm not sure I know the answer to your question, that we can hold our tongue at times and not speak out our testimony or our faith in the risen Jesus Christ. And today's church family, we're coming towards the end of the gospel of Mark and the good news of Mark. And as we read into uh, Chapter 16, and to the end of chapter 16, we'll see how Jesus is commissioning us as Christians. So uh, in chapter 16, jumping to verse 15, Jesus said this. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes, whoever believes it and is baptised will be saved. But whoever does not believe it will be condemned. There's a challenge to us. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In the name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands and they will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on people who are ill and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat on the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his words by signs that accompanied it so after all that silence that endurance of the trial of the crucifixion here we find the risen Lord Jesus Christ commissioning his disciples to no longer hold their tongues but into the share the good news of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and that is what Jesus is still commissioning us as believers to do this morning 
Again, here in the Gospel of Mark, we find the message of salvation, that it may be received to all who hear it. And that is the message of Jesus, that we've all turned away from God at times. And we've all been slaves to sin. But more importantly, the good news of salvation, that we can be freed from sin and born again with Christ. In Romans 6, verses 6 and 7, it says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We no longer have to be slaves, but free in the risen Lord Jesus. Recognising the gifts that God has given us through the sacrifice of his Son, and a gift that we don't deserve. A gift that God provided us with, that we couldn't earn through works, that we couldn't earn through good deeds, that we could not earn through how well we feel we've lived our lives. Or repay for the mistakes that we've made. A gift that was freely given through Jesus. A gift that we would be set free. In Romans 6, verse 23 this time, it says, For the wages of sin is death. That is what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord and our Saviour. That we may not live anymore in our life of sin, but have that security of our everlasting life with the kingdom of God, reunited with the Son, reunited with the Father in glory. God sent his Son, who endured persecution, false accusation, an unjust trial, physical abuse, and one of the most brutal methods of execution. All to be obedient to his Father's will, to allow you to have direct contact and connection to God so that you may have forgiveness for your sins and that you would be welcomed into everlasting life. That is why the message of the cross is dangerous. That is why this book is dangerous. So, the question is, where does that leave us as believers and even non-Christians over 2,000 years after these events have taken place. It leaves us with a choice to either turn away from our old lives of sin, to accept that we are broken people that can't do this on our own and who need a saviour that's been provided for us through the grace and love of God. A saviour who suffered, died on the cross, but was buried and rose again so that we would have a relationship with God through Christ. In biblical history, until these events took place, your relationship with God had to go through the priest and the religious leaders. But Jesus' sacrifice on the cross tore that curtain in the temple so that we would have free communication and contact with our loving Father. So that we could pray anywhere, anytime, in any moment of need to our loving, gracious Father. That's the significance of what Jesus did for us. 
Now, for those of us that have made a commitment to Christ, we can walk in the knowledge that we go through our lives with Christ. Not alone, but connected with and to him as our support. He journeys with us, that we can always look to him in those difficult times, in those times when we don't want to hold our tongue. We want to lash out. We can turn to Jesus. We can turn to God in prayer. And we need him most in our times of weakness and desperation. He journeys with us at all times. And we can live in the security of eternal life in the kingdom of God. But there's another option to our choice. We can reject it. We can reject the message of Jesus, reject the gift that God has given, like many of the characters we've seen in this story did at the time. And like many people are still doing at the moment in the world we live in. We can reject the message and the grace of God, a gift that we don't deserve, and we can continue to live our life and live in our ways of sin. Continue to live in a way where we're self-focused, looking to what we want, not what God wants for us or for his people, looking outwardly, looking up to our saviour. In the passage we've looked at today, um, in one moment Jesus quotes from Psalm 22 uh, in Mark, uh, it's in verse 34. And going into, uh, back into the book of Psalms, uh, here's the direct quote that Jesus is uh, utilising as it expands. We see in Psalm 22, 1 to 5, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what we hear Jesus say on the cross. And then continuing in Psalms, it says, Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out to you uh, by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. Really importantly in verse 5, it says, To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So here's the two challenges I want to put to you this morning in response to our service. Number one, as we come to worship in a moment, I want you to cry out to God that you too would be saved. If you've never made that commitment to Jesus, if you've never made that yes moment where you accept Jesus as your risen saviour, you as an individual. Again, only God knows what's going on in your heart at the moment, where you stand with God and with Christ. But I implore you, for our message we've heard today, from the message that's been spread for 2,000 years, to cry out to God that you too would be saved, that you would be freed from sin and born again in Christ Jesus. And there are people here today who will testify to the uh, transforming nature that Jesus had in their lives since those moments. Or number two, if you've been a Christian for some time, I encourage you to remind yourself of the sacrifice 
Jesus has made for you. And thank God for your salvation and the salvation of other believers. And lift your praises to the heavens as you proclaim the good news of Jesus. Because nothing can ever, will ever be as important as that. Thanking our Heavenly Father for the gift that was given, for lifting our voices in thanksgiving, in praise to Jesus and to the Father. Nothing can ever, will ever be more important since the moment you give your life to Jesus. One of my lecturers at Moreland's said on our first day, the best thing you can do as a student, but more importantly as a Christian, is that every single day remind yourself of what Jesus did for you. More than anything else, remind yourself just of what Jesus went through, of what he endured, what he sacrificed, so that you would be saved. So that other Christians would come to know that gift of freedom and salvation too. In those moments when it's difficult, in those moments in life when it's challenging and we don't know where to turn, we look back to the cross, we look back to Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship band up. I'm going to pray up for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the Bible is dangerous. We thank you that it challenges us Cause us to question where we are with relationship with you, Lord. It challenges us to grow. It pushes us to become more like the example that Jesus set in the gift that you sent your one and only Son to walk among us here on earth, to be an example and a representation and the physical representation of God on earth that we may know your love for us, that we may know the plans that you have for us, that we may know how much you want us to be in relationship with you. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would move among us this morning, that you'd be working in hearts and minds today, that wherever we find ourselves as believers, We would continue to dig deeper in our journey of faith. We would continue to engage with this dangerous book that can change everything for us. And that you would challenge us to share that good news with others too. That we would not hold our tongue. That we would not flee. But instead, we would stand firm in security we have with you. So Lord, we lift you high this morning. We praise your mighty name because you are holy, you are great, you are worthy of it all. Not us, Lord. You are worthy. Let's praise his name. We ask all these things in the mighty name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.